0: Tonight's episode is brought to you by Bendetti Optics, my adventure blog at Sherpa.com, and you, our listeners. Let's see if we can get some things going. Let's see if we can perform CPR on those dead crickets that I mentioned in the last episode. Let's see if we can at least get them chirping again. up all of you wayward souls and welcome back to the wayward stories podcast wayward stories is the podcast where we tell stories of adventure in the great outdoors in self-discovery in self-creation basically anything we do out there our pursuits into the backcountry and the things that we love out there how are you guys doing this week i am doing okay um stress anxiety lots of that boy i took it on I bit off probably, you know, I'm going to say as much as I could chew. Don't want to say more than I could chew, but as much as I could chew. And things have been a little bit wild. Learning to time manage, Um, adding 15, 16 hours a week of effort on top of all the other things I always do. And I've got to go back to work here in just a few days. Oh boy, like back to St. Louis again, I'm assuming, I think, I don't know yet. I don't have a full on destination yet for where I'm going back to, but it's been Pretty much usually St. Louis in the last couple of years. Um, Any of you guys out there are hiring for like a uh, freelance traveling photographer slash journalist slash rambling but somewhat occasionally well-spoken personality? You know, give me a call. Or if you know anyone like that, let me know. It would be, you know, so much less stressful to be doing things that I actually care about, you know. I have not been sleeping well. Like it's been, it's been quite anxiety producing. But anyway, we are here tonight, and we are making an episode for you guys. And this is always quite um cathartic for me. It's very, very um. I love it. I love doing it. I quite enjoy it. So this is quite relaxing, even though there's a lot of work that goes into this. It's work that I love. So you know, I can totally handle that. Um. Anyway, we need to just a little bit, little bitty tiny bit of housekeeping tonight before we get into tonight's topic um first and foremost we need to talk about like just our previous sponsor which was survival feeling and it wasn't really a sponsorship so much as it was a more of like a co-collab situation like a co-collaboration thing like they came out of nowhere right when i first started and it worked really well for me for a while um, but just so you guys know, any of you, that, especially that are like starting here and then you start listening back in reverse order, because a lot of podcast players are set up to play in that fashion. Um, just so you know, when you start going back just a f- couple of episodes from here, you're still going to hear an ad in the middle of almost every episode for survival feeling like they are apparently no longer functional it like dawned on me just recently. I was like, you know what? I haven't heard from those guys in a hot minute. And I went and looked and I tried to go to my creator page that with them where anything, like if any of you've ever gone and bought stuff for them, where my, um, my kickback would have been totaling up like it was a dead link and their website ended up being a dead link. And apparently they've disappeared off the face of the planet. So anyway, they don't exist anymore. And that kind of sucks because yeah, I don't, I mean, I've got 40-something episodes full of survival feeling ads that people are going to listen to until the end of the ages. I mean, well, eventually I'll be able to cut them out when I get other sponsorships, um, et cetera, et cetera, and have to be able to start going back and flagging and making that available and changing out that ad slot. But as it stands, I've got a lot of baked-in ads for a company that no longer exists. You know, it worked for me for a while, and I don't really regret it, but anyway just to get that out of the way if you go back like don't waste your time trying to hunt down survival feeling because apparently they have disappeared from the face of the planet um the other piece of housekeeping i wanted to talk about was i mentioned the facebook group um in the last uh episode and yeah i just want to like reiterate that go y'all You know, this is what they call a call to action in marketing and advertising. If you call to action and you task your listeners or your viewers with a task, you know, they will mobilize, whatever. Um, That's all big, fancy, you know, majestic words for a couple of more people might actually take you seriously and do something about it. But yeah, I just wanted to point out, please do, y'all, if you like to like interact with people... Y'all, please go over to the Facebook group and find it. Just go to Facebook and search out the group Wayward Stories. Like I was going to share the actual URL with you, but it's like a it's like an algebra salad. Like quite it's an alphanumeric salad, to be quite honest. So like just go to Facebook and find my page. Um, I believe mine is Wayward Son 119 or something like that. But Or Justin Minor. It may just be Justin Minor. But go to Facebook. You should be able to hunt down Wayward Stories having that name in hand pretty easily. And y'all, do me a favor. Get in there and start posting things that I can interact with. And let's see if we can get some things going. Let's see if we can perform CPR on those dead crickets that I mentioned in the last episode. Let's see if we can at least get them chirping again. It may take us a while to get to uh, some real activity buzzing over there. But like, yeah, please do. Go and check it out. Also, apparently I have a page... Like, you can go and like that as well. I guess I did that myself, and apparently they're two different things, pages and groups, and I don't even know what the functional purpose of one over the other is. I know the group's private to help protect us all from trolls, but anyway, please do. Call to action. Call to action to all of my listeners. Go over there and and get interactive with this. Like I would love to see that become a platform at some point. Yeah, when we start having 20,000 downloads an episode someday, it probably will be buzzing. But let's see if we can give it a little jump start. Give it a little CPR right now. Let's see if we can get things moving. Anyway, let's get on with tonight's topic. What are we going to talk about tonight? Well, if you saw the name of the episode, again... We're going to be doing what we did last week, actually. Like, I went and went back, and after I proofed, after I edited, proofed, and then did an objective listening of last week's episode, um, or last two weeks ago's episode, our last episode, I was like, okay, no, that actually flowed really well. Like, I like what happened in that episode. I like the way that went. I ended up feeling like it was a really strong episode, and I was like, like, I didn't even get to mention the other things that I had on the list as optional, which was the what I've been dealing with with water shoes and with my sleeping bag situation. And I was like, the more I thought about it, my creative juices started flowing. And I was like, man, you could probably get three or four episodes out of this. That's hugely useful, man. Content can be hard to come by sometimes that's inspiring or that I'm really feeling that I want to sit down and talk about at that moment. But since I didn't really get to finish the last episode, and there was a couple of things I thought about as I listened to it that I didn't really cover very well, I thought, you know what, let's, let's go ahead and do it. Let's go ahead and do part two of Gear to Go, whatever we end up fully naming it. But Gear to Go, let's do it as a part two. Let's finish up last week's thought, and then we can put some of these other great ideas about gear and gear talk that I've been thinking about down, and maybe we can do them down the road. But this right now, it's, it's it's on your mind. It's going to flow. Let's roll with it. So we're going to talk more about more gear. And I'm going to make two notes um, about last week's episode. You know, one, we did talk a little bit about backpacks. And I did not elucidate that idea super well at all. I just kind of talked about... What I've been dealing with is I've tried to decide on a backpack, but I didn't give you any real good tips about looking for backpacks and how to find them for all of you guys that are really just getting into it or maybe had bought a backpack once, but are at that stage where it's finally run its course. And now you want to, you know, you found you love being outside. You love discovering yourself in the great outdoors, um, getting lost and trying to find yourself again. Um, You may be at that point where it's time to upgrade, but you've never actually went and fit it out for an actual backpack. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And it really, the idea came because I really felt the flow was happening in the second part of last week's episode with all the camera talk. Um, And I was like, yeah, that's where you should have been on this from the very start of the last episode is really just talking through gear, not just the decisions you're trying to make about it, but how to make those choices, you know, how to kind of isolate what it is to you, what's important to you and what you're trying to do out there. And then you want to tailor your gear decisions, your kit purchases to what it is you're actually out there trying to accomplish. So that's what we're going to do tonight. And we'll start with just making a couple of notes on the backpack situation. Um, if you're a first time, backpack buyer or you're at that point where you bought your cheap one at Walmart you got going and now you're really wanting to just plow into it and you're looking at this you know vast array there are so many backpacks to choose from so many choices to make out there um just tips on how to do that properly number one and I say properly like everything with a grain of salt this is one man's opinion this is wayward son's opinion take it or leave it you know burn that bridge build that bridge. It don't matter. It doesn't matter to me. It's just an opinion. But there's a vast array. There's so many to choose from. In my opinion, the best things you can possibly do is number one, stay away from Amazon when it comes to backpacks. Like honestly, I've learned some of these lessons the hard way. That's just a cold, hard truth. Stay away from Amazon because you're going to get backpacks that are coming over on those shipping containers from other countries. And I'm not going to name any specifically because there's a certain amount of political correctness involved with talking about crap that's coming out of other places. And like, I really don't want to bash on anyone in particular because they do make some great stuff too. But when you're talking about Amazon, it's funny, like go on to Amazon, look, type in like, say technical backpack, type in like lightweight backpack. Um, You're going to find that everything it kicks back to you is names you've never heard of. And they'll have 3.5 stars out of 30,000 reviews. Like, they're not good products. And that's what Amazon is populating for you. That's what they want you to buy. And you're like, where's North Face? Where's Kelty? Where's all these, you know, where's Osprey? Where are all these bags at? And if you actually type into the search bar, North Face, hiking backpack, Kelty, hiking backpack, Osprey, three-day bag, whatever, you will actually get returns. And they'll be you know, actual brand name stuff that it will give you. But that's not what Amazon wants to sell you for whatever reason. I'm sure it's economic because it always comes down to money. Amazon probably owns half the companies that are making the junk that's coming over on the shipping containers that they're trying to sell to you that have terrible customer service, no one you can ever get in touch with. Just stay away from Amazon don't buy stuff online unless you have like a billion points on a rewards card or something that you're going to spend. And then just like we've talked about before, look closely at reviews. You will run into this all the time on Amazon. I almost bought something recently. It wasn't even outdoors related. It was actually for my house. And I almost bought it because it had a whole, like, how, somehow it was showing, like, 4.5 stars out of a buttload of reviews. It looked great. The price was right. I was like, okay, I think I'm going to go with that. But I made sure and did my due diligence, and I went down. And what you have to do is you go down into the Amazon, um, their search, or not their search bar, but you go down into the reviews, and you click on the filter. Um, not the filter. Actually, sort by. Go to sort by. Don't click on most relevant reviews switch it down one to most recent reviews and that this was one of those specific cases where the most recent reviews were garbage like this thing that i was trying to get was actually supposed to be one specific material and that material was super important like that's the whole reason i was going to buy this dang thing that's really the only reason anyone was there to buy this thing was the specific material that it was made out a certain kind of wood super important anything other than that's not going to work you go in and look it's literally labeled right in the top exactly what it's supposed to be it has that specific kind of material in it and that's how they're selling the stupid thing and i went into the reviews and and the most recent when I clicked it to most recent reviews, every one of them was one star, and it was irate people and every one of them was like it's specific this is false advertising this is the definition of false advertising it literally says it right there, and the header of the product description is right there, but I got the box, opened it up, and pulled it out, and the the piece of paper that comes out with it literally says. This is a bamboo product, which is not the product, not the kind of material or the kind of wood that they literally sold it to. That's why everyone was there to buy it for that specific material that it was made out of. And they get it in the mail and it literally says, this is not what that is. And they couldn't, most of them were like, where's customer service? We can't get a hold of anyone. I'm having to ship this back and fight with Amazon about it. So anyway, Amazon's just, Amazon has a lot of great purposes, guys, for a lot of things. But I found that outdoor products kit and gear products, not really the place to get them. Just saying, Jeff Bezos, don't sue me. I can't stand you. I think you're a tool. Anyway, moving on. And that said, I do get some stuff from Amazon, but I'm just saying... Do your due diligence. Look at the reviews. And that goes for any site. Not just Amazon. It sounds like I was on a tangent. But I'm not. We're literally. This is what we're here to do tonight. Talk about how to choose your gear. Where to get your gear. Like just ideas from me. Things I've learned the hard way over the years. But Amazon. Be wary. not saying don't use it. Be incredibly wary. Use that. 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 uh, Those smarticle particles you got up in your, your head brain there. Anyway. Moving on from that particular angle on the backpacks, when you're getting a backpack, I prefer anyway. You guys really should be going in store. You really should because you need to try it on. You need to fit it to your body. You need to strap it, move it around, and no, You need to know. Do a little bit of research. You know, you're listening to some right now. You're doing research right now. Like, y- you are welcome. Doesn't that feel good? You are relaxing and enjoying yourself, but you're actually expanding your mind because you're listening to me elucidate the ideas of how to expo- you know how to buy backpacks and, and that's what you're doing right now you're doing some of the research right now but follow up on that don't take me at my word never ever ever take me at my word i can be wrong you know everyone is always wrong at some point so go and do a little research but figure out if you are new to this which is again i hope a huge part of my audience and you're being encouraged to get out Go to the stores, go to REI, go to, I mean, better yet, go to your local, your local shops. Like here in Fort Smith, Arkansas, we have the Woodsman and they're a great place. If you go to Northwest Arkansas, you've got a couple of really great places to choose from. You can go check out Packrat, you can go check out, um, for different things. You can go to Ozark Mountain Trading Company for a lot of kayaks. You can do, there are tons of places to go up there. Here in Fort Smith, we have the woodsman, but try to go to your locally owned place if you can. Try to support your local peeps. And you know what? You're going to meet people there that you may make some friendships with, because guess who's there? All the people that are doing what you're doing and trying to do the things you're trying to do. Anyway, That's just my little take on the world, but trying to do things local if you can. But always, at least, even if you're going to a big name like an REI or a Cabela's or anywhere like that, go yourself. Look at them. Put your hands on them. Feel the material. Feel the straps. Feel everything on it. See, does it feel like that it's really built? I mentioned in the last episode, the one I picked up, I think it's going to do what I want it to. But after a few days of messing with it and looking at it. I'm starting to have questions. I have kind of a gut feeling almost that I'm like, I don't think this thing is built well enough. I don't think it's built well enough. And we're going to talk about quality of build and how to look at that and balance that, et cetera, a little bit later Um, on a different product, but it applies across the board to everything, but go in and make sure you see it with your eyes because you can find flaws right there. you might have a great run of backpacks from a great company but there's actually a, a lemon lemons pop in there QC like sometimes they fall asleep on the job. it happens sometimes and you get one and you if you're looking at it with your hands the one you're actually going to carry out of the store you can see if there's a seam popped at the belts or where it's going to carry weight on the shoulder straps. Those are things you want to look at. Turn that shoulder strap inside out a little bit. go in there and look. Is it, you know, triple uh triple sewed? I mean, what do you call that? Triple seamed or whatever? Look how many seams it has. Look how many stitches. Triple stitch. Look and see how many stitches it has. Do they look pretty beefy? Pull on it a little bit. Like mess with that thing. Hands on, tactile. Get in there and do it. See it and you'll make better decisions. But also, like I was saying to do your research, read up on how to wear a backpack. For all of you that are really new to this, read up about how they're supposed to fit your body. If you want hip straps, like a hip belt, they serve a purpose, y'all, and it is to keep the weight of most of the stuff in your backpack off of your back. Like, that's how thru-hikers do it. That's how people who are carrying a lot of weight, I mean, gosh, in the military, rucksacks, things like that, those dudes are carrying 150 pounds on their back every day for a billion and a half miles. Like, the hip belt is super duper important like it carries a bunch of the weight and it saves your back it saves your shoulders but you also have to wear it on your shoulders right and the chest um where you tighten across the chest that makes a huge right across your sternum it's like a sternum belt almost that is a huge deal as well those kinds of things, you need to know how it's supposed to fit. Like look at it for your body size, your height, all of those things. There are are charts online that you can look at and it will help you get a better idea of what you need to be looking at. And I highly, highly, highly urge you to do that. Like I highly recommend it. Um, Do your research first, but then go and see it in person put your hands on it. Like we don't have an REI super close to me, but like I said, I'm having a little bit of buyer's remorse on this backpack. It's just a gut feeling I've carried it around for a few days. I've, you know, messed with the straps. I put it on. I really filled it up with all my stuff, put it on my back, worked it all out and something doesn't feel right. And it's not really a comfort thing. I think it's more of a subconscious. I know it's not built quite as well as I would like it to be built. So there's a really good chance before I head back to St. Louis, I'm going to take it back, get my money back in the account, and I'm going to go check out REI when I get to St. Louis. And this is going to be one of those that I may not be able to get by with trying to do an upper mid-level thing. I may just have to spend the money because I've exhausted all options trying to do that upper mid-level gear when it comes to backpacks that I have or that I've seen. You can't see it all. You can't run across it all. If any of you guys have any great insight on that, get at me, please. I would love to hear it. But this one, I'm not comfortable with this one. And I think I just talked myself into taking it back because like that's an expensive purchase. 70 bucks plus tax. That's 70, 80 dollars. Several tanks of gas. That's my entire food budget for the whole month for myself. Like that's a lot of money. And yeah, I know I'm not comfortable with it. So I'm probably going to take it back. Probably exactly what I'm going to do with it. Um, and you know, hit REI up when I'm in St. Louis. There is an REI in St. Louis. I've been there once or twice, and I may just have to go in, may just have to spend the money, may just be the way things are gonna be for my day pack type of situation. Um, so I highly urge you guys, do the research, listen to my words, do the research, figure out how a pack's supposed to wear, what size you may be needing, and um go and see it with your own eyes touch it with your own hands and again I just always urge people try to buy local man support small business like I'm a small business so I'm a big you know supporter of other small businesses like the big guys are great they have things that we can't get other places and a lot of times they get them that's kind of the balance usually is you can get them a little bit cheaper um if you buy from a larger company, cause they can buy in larger quantities and local businesses a lot of times have to charge more in order to cover their overhead. But like, if it's something that you can afford it to cost an extra $10 or 15, if you're okay with that, to be able to support small business, that's one of those caveats where I will do that sometimes. If I, if I find that it's not that much more than buying it from a, a major retailer, I'll try to do it local. I like to support small business. But anyway, there's more thoughts on the backpack. And let's do... um, I did want to finish up a thought process on the camera. And this is kind of working out well. We'll push right into the break when I finish up with the camera here. and We can get on to part two and talk about the things I didn't get to talk about last week. Um, The camera itself, and the reason I bring this up is because I think it's important. It was about the, the process. I mean, it was the very last section of the last episode where I was talking about really the philo- the philosophy of it and the arguments there about, you know, taking pictures with your phone versus using a camera, etc. One of the interesting things about it that I was sort of talking my way around, but I never hit on it as a point, and it's a point that I want to make right now, and that is... For a lot of people, and this is very true of me, and this is something to consider, if you want to do photography, yeah, you can get some great stuff with your phone. I told you last week the the shortcomings a phone has, but also the great perks that it affords you. Um, and you, you have that in your pocket so far to consider, but consider this as well. When it comes to actual photography, there is something incredibly soothing. There's something amazing and fun about the process of photography. Okay. And by that, I mean, number one, learning it, you go in and you need to learn about exposure rates. You need to learn about the aperture. You need to learn about some of the stuff. Like you can go out there. Some people just have a naturally good eye for a frame, for a shot, for a subject, for composition. Some people have that natural eye. Some people are very artistic. Um, they're left brained or whatever they say. Um, But you do need to, you know, do a little research, just an overview of the theory of photography and kind of get an idea. That's really important. That helps you a lot. But you do need to learn some of the technical aspects like exposure rates, aperture, you know, all the different things. But for most of us, me especially, when I'm out there taking photography, it is very, very, very soothing. It's the process itself is a part of it's like I've talked about before. Every time I go camping. I'm starting a fire a more the hard way, not with like a bow drill or a fire plow or anything that insane, but using a sparker, having to build a nest, having to chop things super small and shave sticks. And I mean, I do it kind of a, a crisscross, a mishmash between a full on bushcraft survival situation. Um, but also using like a sparker, like I still use, I don't just like use a lighter, But the whole point is, for me, every time I go, it's practice, you know, and that's something, a skill you want to be on top of, especially like I look at it from a search and rescue perspective. You never know when you're going to have to stay the night out somewhere because you hurt your knee or something went wrong or whatever. You got stuck somewhere. But also because it's super calming. I love the process of doing. It's super cathartic. It's super soothing. It is enjoyable to do that for me. That's kind of how photography is. You go out there, you look for your shots, and, and over time, this is what's beautiful about this so much fun is because over time of taking pictures and as you graduate in your ability to, to capture shots, to capture, you know, moving water, to capture whatever it is you like to capture, landscapes, you start to learn the things to look for. It's kind of like fishing. It's kind of like playing the lottery, it's kind of like um pulling a uh what do you call it? The arm on a slot machine. I mean, I've never been into gambling, but there are people that are like there's a part of our brain, you know, treasure hunting and people with metal detectors. And, you know, that, there's this idea. It's kind of gambling every time. It's like you're trying to make the odds work in your favor and you're hoping you get something. You hope you catch that five pound smallmouth. You hope you hit the lottery or you hit the jackpot or whatever. That's kind of how photography can be. You're out there and you've worked the odds in your favor, so to speak. You have learned, you've spent all this time taking photos and over time as you grow and experience, and for me now, you know, it's been three, four years of really going after it, you start to develop a, your own style, which is super cool, but you also start to develop an eye and what you like to take pictures of. And you're like, oh, hey. Like, I mean, for example, like sunsets, everyone can take a good picture of a sunset. If it's a good sunset, you can't do that wrong. If you do that wrong, I mean, you probably should give up on photography. That picture takes itself. It just does. It just does. But if you, you can see, like, this is just an example. You can look up and go, Ooh, we've got a lot of low clouds. We got kind of a mid-level ceiling. They're kind of wispy. It's spread out wide across the sky we've got a couple hours to sunset if something doesn't blow these clouds out of the sky when that sun hits the horizon and it's coming through a whole day's worth of atmospheric warming and smog and haze and and the humidity that grows over the course of a day you're going to get those colors and that's going to happen on any given night but those colors only show up to us and our eyes if there's clouds in the sky to catch it and you can actually tell sometimes three four o'clock in the afternoon Ooh, today there's a really good chance so there being a great sunset tonight and if you know a place that you like to catch sunsets from you might be like you know what it's time for a quick little trip that's what we're going to do we're going on a short adventure tonight we're going to go see and we're going to hope that that sunset comes through for us um you start to know and recognize the the situations as they shape up and as you go hiking and you walk through nature you hear falling water there's possibly a long exposure shot over there and that's part of the process is learning about it learning how to do it and learning your way through it and as you go you learn to kind of cast your cast your line into the proper pools your odds of catching that big fish go up if you know where that big fish likes to live that's part of the process but also once you find it knowing perspective learning that hey i love perspectives where i have something great in the foreground and i mean that's any shot there's foreground perspective makes any shot far more vast and and way more cinematic and beautiful but you go in and you start doing your process you start finding your angle that you know will work for this and that you like to show this kind of waterfall from or whatever and then you have to set it up you get your camera open you got it in manual mode or whatever and you're going through and you're setting your exposure rate. Right? You're setting all of these things and it's part of that process, that procedure that makes actual photography so much fun and so enjoyable for so many of us. Take that into account if you are considering how to do photography because standalone cameras are very expensive. And by the way, a $500 Nikon or Canon or Sony, the low end of the prosumer mid-level you can do a ton with those go back all the way to the beginning of my Instagram I've only had this new camera I talked about in the last episode for a few like a couple maybe a few months everything you see if you go back on my Facebook two years to when I was in California every stinking one of those pictures was taken on a Canon Rebel T7 I think T6 or 7 $399 at Best Buy, you know, and I bought stuff to go with it, um, and some filters and things to work with that one. But y'all, I got some decent Astro out that I got some, or Astro out of that. I got some amazing long exposures that were featured in calendars and in on Arkansas State Parks website, $4,500 low-end prosumer is more than enough, but I will tell you this, and I always suggest people start there because it will teach you photography. To get that stuff out of that camera, you have to do your research. You have to learn about shots and how to make a camera perform. That's the only reason I ever upgraded is I knew after three and a half years of owning that camera, I had maxed out what it could do for me, short of spending a lot of money on upgrades. And I was like, well, at that point, why don't I just upgrade the camera, right? But they're great starters because they make you learn. If you want to do some long exposure, you have to learn. About exposure and light, like you need an overcast sky if you don't have this bad a filter strap on the front of it. Um, that's something to take into consideration. But when you're thinking about buying a camera, if you want to, if you're into that, if you think you might get into that, snapping pictures with your phone is great. As all, if all you want to do is take pictures and share them with your friends and your followers on Instagram or whatever. But if you actually want to enjoy, say, the art or the technical side of photography, you might want to go with an actual camera. Because, I mean, I highly suggest it on that end of things. There's something really, really, like I said, cathartic. It's very calming. It's very soothing to sit there and actually go through the processes, go through the steps. And I don't know. I love doing that. So that should play into your decision-making processes, which is what the whole last episode, half of the last episode kind of turned out being when we are talking about cameras. And I think I missed that. That's an important point to make. There's a big difference in point and click in the actual process involved. And so many people thoroughly enjoy the process of photography. Oh, and one last note. Don't cheap out on a tripod. People are like, how do I get crystal clear crisp photos you have to have a good tripod and a good one you can't cheap out on a tripod listen just take it from me go online google it everyone's going to say the same thing i am you cannot cheap out on a tripod number one they're flimsy they'll break and it's useless to you but number two they're unstable the way you get crisp photography the way you get great crystal clear pictures is for the camera you not to be even touching the camera when that picture snaps, you set the timer, the self timer on the camera to a two second delay. You set up your shot, you push the button and you take your hands off of it. And you need a stable, solid tripod. I have a really awesome one that I picked up at our local camera shop, Bedford Camera and Video, a Ben Row something. But it was over 100 It was $100 almost exactly, actually. It was either 91 and came out around 100 or it was 100 and came out around 109 something like that. That was a hard decision for me to make. That's a hard gear purchase for me to decide on for a tripod, but I care enough about the photography worth every penny. And I'm here to tell you, you cannot do the kind of photography that you want to if you're really into it on a crappy tripod or without one. Now, yeah, you can do sport photography off the shoulder, you know, if you've got super great light conditions, it's really bright outside, you've got a super high shutter speed, but the point is, when you're doing landscape and things like that, where you need contrast and you need depth of field and you need that camera to have a longer shutter, like exposure rate, that camera has to be absolutely static, completely still, still, and the less that you're touching it, the better. You need a good tripod take that into account anyway we have more than rolled on to the commercial break we've gone over time a little bit so let's go to the ad break let's go hear a word from our sponsors and we will catch you back here in just a couple of minutes and get back into the other half of the episode what is up all of you wayward souls i want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor Bendetti optics a brand based right here in the good old US of A, Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves right there in Portland, from the top of the chain, have a great conversation, and we end up starting this great relationship. We have the more than made right, the little snafu that occurred. And I am now a huge proponent of them because I can tell you from personal experience, they are good people. And they're trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about $40, but using the exact same frame material, TR90, and the same polarization process as the big guys. As it turns out, something I think we are already probably new in our hearts, When you buy big-name sunglasses, you're buying a big name. Not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else, like at Bendaddy Optics. They have 29 different styles. They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in. And they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them. Send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling, and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right. And they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them. And I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I, Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash BendettiOptics. And that, I highly suggest whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you'll ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you and welcome back thank you guys for sticking around hanging around one more time through another sponsor break it means the world to us if you support those sponsors and you let them know we sent you it just helps us guys it helps us out a lot so let's get on to the rest of tonight's episode um let's get into talking about sleeping bags like that's one of the things that is currently on my plate okay the sleeping bag I currently own is called it's a modular sleep system produced by and for. Um, not by, it's produced for the U S military. Um, and it's a great sleeping bag. And here's the thing about it. And and we're going to talk about this a little bit in depth because this is a great like object lesson. This is something that we can really put on a, a pedestal here and we can look at that will help to, really express and contrast the different things you're looking for and this is valuable in any gear purchase but this sleeping bag is a great example kind of a great template for when you go out and you're trying to choose gear especially when it comes to hiking um, anything where you would like to be lightweight. this system it's called the uh, what's well, modular sleep system it is used in conjunction with the ECWCS which is the extreme con- or ex- extended cold, weather clothing system produced for the military this is good quality stuff y'all like about the only thing the military makes for its its soldiers that isn't any good is like the boots and the food from everything I've heard from everyone that has ever served, that has been my former brother-in-law's good friends, that they all buy their own boots. Like they all buy their own boots and they complain about the rations. But like all this other stuff is killer stuff. And that's why I bought it because I am an over, I'm an over-prepared kind of guy. Like I am, I tell you, I, I should probably have a whole nother YouTube channel um, and podcast just called like Practical Prepper. Like, okay, I'm not a, I'm not an end of the world prepper because I learned a long time ago the hard way after I'd been brainwashed to believe that it was all coming down and then figured out that no, it's not. And then I let my my logic and reason come back to me for a split second because I am a history nerd and started thinking about, you know what? People that lived through World War II, God, if anyone ever had a reason to... To believe that the end was nigh. It was people in World War II, basically anywhere but in the US. We had it pretty good. But in Europe especially, or World War One, or God, Europe, Europe's taking a lot of beatings, y'all. Good grief, the black plague, you know. God in nine ninety-nine CE, for example. Like, did you know this? Synagogues, churches, houses of worship, you know, the world over, but especially over there in Europe, maybe it wasn't the world over, but definitely in Europe, we're packed with wailing people begging forgiveness from whatever God they believed in because they were just convinced it was the end of the world. Like it happens all the time and then it never actually happens. So, like, you know, I've brainwashed for a minute and I like overbuilt stuff. I like stuff that's going to last forever anyway. It's practical to me. So, I got this sleeping bag kit because it's built to withstand temperatures when you use it in conjunction with Equix, which is the colloquial waves and ECWCS, like the undergarments that I talked about in the Firecraft episode, for example. I talked about my thermals. I'm still a huge proponent of those. No drawbacks to those. Give them a try. Go listen to the Firecraft episode to hear all about it. But this sleeping bag, it's an incredible bag, y'all. It will get you to negative temperatures. It will get you below 0 degrees if you use it in conjunction with a great set of thermals. And if you just go in in your full hiking clothes, that even gets you a little bit more insulation. It's essentially a modular system. It has three pieces, it has five pieces, but two of them are stuff sacks. It's got three pieces essentially. It's got a patrol bag, which is like a 50-60 degree bag. And then it has like an intermediate bag, which is more like maybe a 30-40 degree bag somewhere in there, generalities. And then it has a bivy cover that's basically is waterproof but does not provide any insulation except for it does create one more layer to trap heat when you add it to the whole setup right that's how this is set up they're intended to be used together like if it's 50 degrees outside use the patrol bag if it's 30 degrees outside use the intermediate bag if it's zero degrees outside put the patrol bag into the intermediate bag and boom relatively nice and toasty if you throw the bivy on it It's, it gets nice and warm and also it's waterproof. It's literally kind of its own shelter. See, that was a part of my thought process. Not only is this going to get me to the most extreme temperatures I should ever have to face, it is also waterproof. It's its own standalone shelter. And it is all of that guys. And I'm here to testify to you after eight years or so, seven or eight years of, use and I mean heavy use. I have used the crap out of it. It's, it's something I'm a big proponent of because it's one of those items that I bought and it's worked for a billion years and it's worked well for a crap ton of time. Um, it's built like a tank which is what I want but therein lies the rub. When something is overbuilt it is heavy and it is bulky and my needs have evolved As a human, I have evolved and my needs have evolved and that is going to be true for all of us always. And that's why it's a perfect thing to talk about here tonight because we're talking about how to choose gear and what choices you make and things to consider when you're making those choices, right? So this bag, what I normally carry it as, I don't even have the bivy cover anymore, which I wish I did. I don't know what happened to it. I probably honestly, probably threw it away because that's me. I don't keep crap around. Like, I don't keep crap I don't use and don't need. That's how I keep my world tidy and functional where I can actually live in it. But it cannot be found. I tried to because I'm planning to sell this bag and fund buying another bag. And that's where I'm at right now is trying to decide what to do, like what kind of bag to get. But to continue and finish telling you about this uh, modular sleep system surplus from the military, it weighs seven Pounds. Just the patrol bag in the intermediate bag. That's how I roll. It's just those two stuffed in there. And it's like 12 inches by seven by seven or something in its stuff sack. It does stuff relatively well. It weighs a ton. With the Bivy, it weighed 12 pounds. Okay. Y'all. Oh my god. That's ridiculous. That ain't for hiking. That ain't for hiking. Like let's just leave it at that. That ain't for hiking. That's a great car camping bag. That's a great if you want to prep for the end of all. Even though you're going to be disappointed because it's not coming. Um, that's a great bag for it. It's going to cost you a pretty penny, y'all. It costs two hundred fifty bucks, something like that. I mean, you can get nice North Face bags for that price these days. Um, but that is part of two. The world's still stuck in survival prepper mode and end of the world mode. Um, so all the cost, all the prices on military surplus gear has been through the roof for a few years now. It goes through peaks and valleys and spikes, you know, with the newest threat to our constitutional rights or what the heck ever. Um, but it always goes because then, you know, nothing ever happens and we move on. But it's a great bag to be built. And if you are a car camper, if you were all, I mean, it's a great bag, but it weighs a ton. Hence why I'm trying to. To buy a new bag. That's where I'm at. Here's the thing when it comes to. This is the contrast we're going to talk about. You want quality gear, right? You want well built gear. But with well built inevitably comes weight and bulk. Okay. Now that is within reasonable price ranges. You get into technical gear. That's where well built like a tank But lightweight and not bulky comes into play, and the price skyrockets because then you start looking at materials that are super expensive materials. A great place to 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 illustrate that would be like a good hiking pole. You can get thirty or forty dollar hiking pole, but it's gonna be heavy. It's not gonna be super strong. You can go from like aluminum, steel to aluminum. Of course, people use wood or whatever. But like if you're buying an actual collapsible hiking pole, whatever. But then you start getting into oh you can spend $200 on a hiking pole, way more than that, actually, for people that are doing big stuff like attempts on Everest or whatever. But you can go in, you go look at what a hiking pole that's made out of like some kind of a carbonate material, some kind of a new age type of metal, some type of a, uh, what do you call that? I just went blank on the word, y'all. I've got a billion things happening in my world and in my mind. And it's a, obvious word, a composite, a composite material. See, there it was. I just had to talk in circles for a second. I'd get there. You get into stuff that's like graphites or whatever, the composite materials, super lightweight, extremely lightweight, super strong, super durable, whatever it is, but the cost skyrockets because the material is expensive to create with, to purchase, to make these things. But also like you're buying for the aspect of the engineering that went into it and all the, it's a whole nother world. So if you're trying to keep things like cost effective, you have a battle that you have to fight here between weight and bulk and it being built really well, or it being light and compact and not being built quite nearly as well. And that's the battle that most of us face and that I face. And why we're talking about this tonight is I'm still on the fence going back and forth. I'm trying to get something that weighs less than four pounds or three pounds. Ideally, I would like it to be under three pounds. And roll up to the size of like a softball or something, you know, actually punch down to something nice softballs a little small, but I can't think of another sporting, maybe a football, but something that'll actually fit in a pack. I need it to fit in a footlocker in the back of my ride until I need to put it in a pack, but I need lightweight. I want it to be small. I'm sick of having this gargantuan behemoth, you know, Abrams tank of a sleeping bag rolling around in my back seat. So how do you do that? And that's the wall that I'm up against right now because I'm online. I've been looking and looking and looking. I've gone in stores, of course, as I mentioned a while ago that you should do, but I've been looking everywhere and I've found bags that are zero degree bags. You're like, why do you need a zero degree bag? Justin, you live in Arkansas. I run cold. I have a thyroid condition and I run super cold is one reason, but on top of that, I'd like to go places where it's super freaking cold like Colorado like I like to be again over prepared you can take a zero degree bag and if you get hot because it's only 25 degrees outside unzip it and it's nice totally good to go you know I like to have you know it's like everything it's better to have and not need than need and not have in most situations and I want my sleeping bag to be that way So, I found some zero degree bags that are reasonable prices between $100 and $150 by name brands that have good warranties. And usually, a lot of times, you run into this. And this is something to consider when you're purchasing. A big name brand with a reputation, more often than not, is going to make a pretty good quality item because they do have a reputation to hold up or uphold. Not hold up, uphold. If north face suddenly started making crap people would freak out it would be a big deal especially in today's age especially with tiktok especially with instagram especially with social media engagement so readily accessible y'all people have burned down entire franchises before like if you, i mean god backcountry.com that whole stupid when they copyrighted copyrighted the term backcountry Oh my God, do y'all remember that? That was a huge controversial deal. Huge people, huge names in the outdoor world, in 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 extreme sports world that used a lot of their gear, started making TikTok videos and Instagram videos, p- pilling their backcountry stickers off of their boards, their cars, their luggage, their whatever, like people boycotted backcountry. And I haven't ever seen the fallout because I wasn't that interested, but for several for a couple of months that carried on before I quit paying attention because it just dropped out of the zeitgeist for me but y'all that was that's a huge company and they made a huge snafu they did something absolutely ridiculously stupid and people were like f that and they got on the boycott wagon so you have to like you these these big companies can be and are super conscious of what they're putting out there for the most part so a lot of times you can trust that or they have a great warranty situation like that's also a big thing to understand so sometimes that's good to consider that's in your that can be in your corner is they're probably going to put out good gear. You may pay more for it, but it is probably going to be good, or it's at least going to be backed, and it should be a part of the consideration process. And here's the thing, a lot of the big names that you've all heard, and you all know, they are offering some mid-range stuff. A whole lot of them, sleeping bags, like, yeah, you can get in North Face or Kelty or Marmot or any of these, you know, that put stuff out there into the way high-end dollar ranges. But like Kelty's got a sleeping bag right now that I'm actually really interested in Um, that's coming in at about $109. The thing is, is again, at those price points, it's not as lightweight. It's not as compact. Actually, the weight I'm totally cool with. I've been carrying around seven and a half pounds of Abrams Tank sleeping bag for the last friggin' however many years. This thing comes in at like almost 3.5 to 4 pounds. I'm like, well, that's half the weight. The weight's fine. I'm with the weight, but it doesn't pack as small as I want it to. That's back to materials, cost of materials. You pay for what they call technical equipment, and technical equipment literally just translates to lighter and more compact, and that's what we're after here. So keep these things in mind. You can go out and buy some really well-made stuff, like a military surplus bag. And if you do, quick note aside, you just make sure, and when you order, that it says never issued that's what you're after military surplus never issued it'll come still wrapped in cellophane it's never been on a soldier's body or whatever you know while he was out there sleeping in the field on on patrol weekend or whatever but always get it never issued because I had one before that one that had been issued and it was garbage y'all I think it came from Vietnam era it stunk it was woodland camo it was it was junk it was absolute junk. It wouldn't keep me warm for anything. So if you if you do get one, they are great. They're well built. They'll last you a million years. I can testify to that. But it's military surplus. It's overbuilt. It weighs a lot. Because one thing about soldiers, like they'll put them in some good gear that's going to do its job and not wear out super fast because that's financially makes sense for the military. They're not super concerned with the soldier's comfort. Like, okay, well, you already carry a 130-pound ruck. What's another 12, 15 pounds on there? Here, have a sleeping bag. Um, So that's kind of the contrast here. You're looking at, you pay a lot for size and compactness, for packability. Oh, another quick note when it comes to sleeping bags. There's a reason it's called a stuff sack. I was amazed as I've been researching all of these bags. The thing I'm going to look for, y'all, is pack size, stuffed size. How big is this thing? Okay, not open, 82 inches long, 76, not that. How big is it stuffed? That's the important thing. Understand this. There's a reason it's called a stuff sack. Never, ever, 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 ever roll up that sleeping bag and then put it in and then pull the compression straps. You just ruined it, especially if you leave it like that for long periods of time. Anytime you're not using it, that's not how insulation works. There's a reason that it's called a stuff sack. You are supposed to stuff it in. Like in the military, my former brother-in-law, he said they called them punch bags or punching bags because that's what they did. You get the toe box into the stuff sack and you just grab a handful of the sleeping bag and you start punching it into the bag. You literally punch it in and compress it down that way it's essentially it's a chaotic way of packing it and it keeps everything fluffed essentially and it doesn't put it in the same position every time you roll it up and pull straps tight because that will absolutely kill the insulation in those areas it will compress it where it never comes back if every time you stuff it in you actually stuff it the way it's intended to be stuffed you're essentially mixing the drink okay if you make a mixed drink but you put everything one at a time and then you don't shake it or stir it, you're only gonna taste one part at a time. That's exactly what a sleeping bag will do. Parts of it, it settles into the wrong places. If you want it to work the way it's intended to work, you need to mix it up. You need to shake and not stir punch that thing into the sack. Anyway, moving on from that note, let's get off of sleeping bags. Now, I still haven't decided what I'm doing. I have decided that I'm upgrading And I'm getting out of this bag and I'm going to sell it. What I have not decided is what bag I'm going to. And that's where I'm at on that. And hopefully give you guys a little insight. Maybe that'll give you a little insight to what we, uh, what I look at when I'm trying to pick a sleeping bag. And for any of you that are first time really getting into this, like I do suggest when it comes to sleeping bags, y'all, you could not go wrong. You will not go wrong for you. You guys that are really starting to get into the outdoors, you're not going to go wrong spending 120 or $130 on a Kelty 20 degree bag or a North face or whatever brand. It doesn't matter. Um, You're not going to go wrong with that, and that's a reasonable price to get into a 20 degree or less bag. That's an absolutely reasonable price, and I don't think you're going to go wrong with it. But again, just like I talked about earlier, stay away from Amazon. Amazon's got some really great looking options out there, and there was one that almost had me tempted, but then I got into the reviews and actually started looking, and go look at those customer reviews that actually have pictures added. You won't regret it. Immediately, I was like, yep, 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 back off. Nope, 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 nope. Nope, the heck out of there. This is not going to work. If you have even a remotely similar experience to any of these guys, you bought you a piece of crap, and apparently there's no one you can contact to get your money back. So stay away from no names on Amazon. If you're going to buy on Amazon, try to get a name you know. You know, go find it in store or whatever. If you're getting a great deal on Amazon, go find it in store, make sure it's what you want, then order it on Amazon, whatever. But Moving on from sleeping bags, let's get on to, and this will probably end up being the last one of the night. We've ran quite long tonight, actually. Water shoes. It is actually spring now. I need to be putting out an episode on the Buffalo River. It'll come out eventually. Like, I know what I want to talk about. It's just I haven't been feeling it, feeling it in my heart because I'm going to kind of be rehashing some things I've already said about it. It's, I'm trying to find a new angle. The reason why is it's the 50th anniversary of the Buffalo National Scenic River being designated that and it was america's first national scenic river and there's a huge celebration going on with it this year so we got to get an episode out we can't miss that we have to celebrate its birthday with it but it's season now and the season is you gotta have some water shoes so i had to get some water shoes recently why i've been through a saga with water shoes in the last several years okay here's the thing about water shoes Many of you just probably get you a pair of Keen sandals, some kind of sandals, right? So many people wear Keens and they're great shoes. Like I have hiking boots, Keen hiking boots, and I'm in love with them. You guys go over to the YouTube channel, go back a year and a half to two years. I've got reviews on two different pairs of Keens. Those are some of my best performing videos. They have 8 10,000 views. So many comments like, y'all, Keen makes some great stuff, at least in the things I've owned. Of course, you get that many views on a YouTube video, people are going to you know, contend with you and say I have pairs and they're crap. But overall, everyone seems to be you know saying the same thing. Yes, Keens are great. I've had a pair for this many years. This is a good review. Thanks for doing it. Like whatever. But the sandals are one thing. Sandals aren't going to work for me. Many of you guys do that. It's not going to work for me. The reason it doesn't work for me is I don't like all the river pebbles and rocks under my feet and trying to shake them loose. I've done the Keen sandal thing. Okay. I've done different versions of water shoes for well over, you know, 20 years now, right? I mean, I've been doing the rivers for 22 years, whatever, and I learned a long time ago, and I want to talk through this in a little bit of detail, because I want you guys to have, you know, just a perspective, and you may think, you know what, I should probably try what he's talking about. Wow, that really resonates with me, so I'm going to talk through it here in a little bit of detail. I did it the sandal way at first and it always drove me insane. And also you run a very real risk of <laughs> stitches on your foot. I've been a part of several expeditions where someone ended up needing stitches like because they the sandal slipped a little bit or they kicked a rock when they were in a rapid and they came out or what the heck ever. And y'all, it'll split your foot wide open. Sharp rocks happen fast. Also, broken bottles. There's a lot of broken beer bottles in a lot of the rivers that get floated around these parts. Much as sad as that is, it's true. Um, And you have too much open, exposed foot. Like, and you use your feet for everything. As soon as you get out, you're on your feet. Like, they're kind of dangerous. And also, they're super uncomfortable. Like, that's the bottom line for me is they're super uncomfortable when it gets to having rocks underneath your feet. So, I know I'm not about the sandals from that's where I started. And I started getting into buying water shoes. And you just bought the cheap ones at first. You bought them at Academy, you bought them at Walmart. They still make them to this day. They're $15. They more or less enclose your foot in their mess. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Those are too cheap. Like they don't they don't stand the test of time at all. They won't stand the test of a whole summer. They'll barely stand the test of one river trip if you really get out and move around and do things. And they also can be very dangerous because they're so thin. The material is so thin, right? I've been through all the gamut of everything. Well, I told you about Several episodes ago, I think in the yak packing episode, I told you about the best pair of water shoes I ever owned. Pair of Wolverines that year, they went out of production. I've never found another pair, but they were built just like tennis shoes. They were completely ventilated. Through the soles. They were water shoes, dedicated. They were mesh, but they were built just like tennis shoes. You could wear them like tennis shoes, and they were incredible. They had tennis shoe soles on them, super aggressive soles that kept you from sliding all over the place. It was great. I loved those things. And then I was stupid and I melted them by a campfire trying to dry them out one night. And it didn't even need to happen, but I was just, that was just me and I did it. And I've regretted it ever since. So I come out of that pair, and I need to tell you this, because sometimes good, big brands, and this is one of those lessons, one of the early lessons in my life, that big names don't always get you good stuff. It happens sometimes. There's always lemons everywhere. You just have to keep your eye out. I went and spent like $140 on a pair of Merrells that were made to be water shoes. They had laces just like shoes. They failed me in a season, Y'all, they tore through, the pinky toe tore through on one side, all of the little uh, paracord like anchor points for where the laces came back and forth across the, those started busting before the end of the first year. And I was having to jerry rig those things around into all these different things. Y'all, it was a bad deal it was a bad deal. I blew, just wasted that money. It broke my heart because I spent so much money. I went out of my way and said, I'm going to, this is one of those moments where I bit the bullet and said, I'm going to pay the dollars to get this done and get it done right. And it didn't get it done right. They disappointed me a great deal. I'm like, wow, my $15 on clearance pair of Wolverines outperformed these shoes by a long shot. And these were 130 bucks plus tax. I've never bought another pair of Merrill anything. Like I've never have because of that moment. That's why it's so important for companies to stand behind their products and produce good products because there's people like me that I mean, yeah, I would probably give them another chance. I'm not like bitter, bitter, bitter. I don't hold it against them, but it's like, no, there's too many brands to try. Why would I try ever try again the brand that cost me so much money and failed so miserably they were terrible so I go on and I've been on this saga ever since for years of buying shoes and I've tried going cheap that were built more like tennis shoes I know I want the enclosed toe the enclosed foot I want everything enclosed but the thing I miss about the Wolverines is they literally had that neoprene style almost sock um part of them that went around your ankle and was tight. Therefore, rocks did not get in your shoes and under your feet and you didn't have to take your shoes off every time you stopped on a gravel bar. Because every time you stop on a gravel bar that's got water all over it, you're on the river, right? Usually there's somewhere you're going to step and it's kind of like a little bit of mini quicksand. You go down to mid shin, you know, or something like that, and you just filled your rock with shoes. Even if you don't go that deep, it still fills your rock with shoes or your shoes with rocks. Um, can you tell I'm getting word salad in my brain? I've been talking too long tonight and I got too much going on, but I ended up, you end up getting all these rocks in your shoes and it's miserable. You're constantly taking them off. You get more blisters that way. The ones you can't get out the little pebbles, you can't get out, whatever. Um, And so, like, I've just been going through this battle. So I started buying cheap ones to just hope they lasted a season. And I made a pair of cheap ones last two seasons. Actually, I did that recently two times in a row. But we finally, last year, reached the end of the line. We reached the end of the line. I do have a success story tonight. I do have a success story. And we're going to end on a success story. I did this in the past. And up until, like, last year. And at the end of last year, I finally said no. No. Those stinking $35 water shoes that you bought in the Smoky Mountains when you went to Tennessee and did your, you know, that episode, Fish Hammocks in the Great Smoky Mountains. Go back and listen to it. That's when I bought that pair of water shoes and it lasted me over two years. Dang, it made it almost three years, didn't it? it? Made it two full seasons, I think. Two and a half full seasons. Um. But they, they were like, I was literally band-aiding them all the time, having to fix this lace and that strap. They were garbage. They literally just got me on the river and I knew I was expecting, I just have to dump them out because I wasn't going to settle again. We're back to that bite the bullet. It's time to get something that works. Wasn't going to settle. So I've done all this shopping for the last couple of years. I've been keeping my eye open. I mentioned that in the last episode, head on a swivel. See, this is how it works. You get your head on a swivel, you're checking stuff out everywhere you go and I finally came across something late last season, but it was so late in the season. I was like, I'm not going to buy them now. That's quite a bit of money. We'll wait till next year and we'll see. Um, But it's a pair of um, Under Armour water shoes. And they're like Zilchies, I think it's called. I got I meant to bring the box over here, but they're Under Armour water shoes. They come in at around $80, but I found them at a Cabela's. I tried them on last year and I was like wait they got a fit that I like ooh I don't like this color this is ugly as heck this is like some kind of weird baby blue I don't know but I don't need them right now I'm not buying this late in the season anyway cuz I'm not going to need them again this year um and I'll look next year and then I'll order them online if I have to that's what we'll do so I found these things and they're almost like those old Wolverines from 14 freaking years ago y'all they're literally a shoe you wear on your feet with a real sole on the bottom of them with aggressive treads there they're heavy material on top even though they're completely mesh much thicker and heavier than that weird netting this is an actual material that you would like to have on your feet between you and the rocks. And they have the neoprene like liner around the ankle that holds tight around the ankle. And you can get them in a slip on version, or you can get them with the laces. I chose the laces, of course, because you can pull that a little bit tighter. So psyched, so psyched. And they have like 10 different colors to choose from. So i this year it came up. I saw them again. They didn't have the pair and the color that I wanted, or even not even the color so much. They didn't have the size I truly needed in store. And so I got online, I got on Cabela's. I knew the size because I tried them on. That's a huge thing about shoes. Make sure you get something that's fitting, but I tried them on in a store here in Fort Smith and I went on Cabela's and I ordered them in the actual size that was the problem is they had a size and slip on here but i didn't want the slip on i ended up having to go online and order the lace-up version but i knew the exact size i got online i had 10 color choices to choose from got them they came in yesterday y'all only time will tell if they hold up like i said my Merrells back in the day did not hold up but these, I have high hopes for these. Unless that soul just detaches from the body of the shoe, they feel a whole lot like those Wolverines from back in the day. Absolutely am psyched about this purchase. Again, only time will tell if the workmanship is there. That's the only way we'll find out is getting on the river this summer. And I can't wait to get out there in those. But they fit great. They stay tight around the ankle. I'm not going to have all the pebbles up in my shoes. You're still going to get some. That's inevitable. You're still going to get some here and there. But it's, oh, I just know. Trust me. This is years of experience of trying to find the right stuff. Having the right thing once and then losing it, not being able to replace it properly. And I think I finally found its replacement some 15 years later. And boy, howdy, let me tell you, if I get through this season and they work through this season, I'm that weird old dude. I'll have three pair in the mill by next season and I will use them for the rest of my life because I just spent literally 14 years not having the thing that I knew worked because the one pair I had got destroyed, right? I'm that guy. I have poor trauma from being young, and it translates into everything. When you never have anything and you never have enough, when you find the thing that actually does the thing you want it to do and it does it well, you're like, I need 20 of those because I need them to last forever because I know as soon as these die, I'm going to go try to get more, and I'm never going to be able to get them because that company will have burned down in some weird catastrophic plague event that no one could have seen coming. Like That's just how it goes. So I'm that guy, but I'm super psyched about these and you guys, it's river season. You're into getting on the river. I highly suggest looking into these under armors offering this year for water shoes. Give them a look, take into consideration, especially any of you guys that are newer to this or have never considered going beyond your keen sandals. Consider that if it dawned on you, wow, it would be nice to just have a pair of freaking tennis shoes that I can wear in the water. As soon as I step out, everything drains out of it. Like they're incredible. It's incredible. They're made to be submerged. Look into it. Anyway, we're going to end on that success story because I've still got, like I said, I haven't even decided the stinking sleeping bag situation um, is still undecided. And the stupid uh, backpack situation may not be as set and I may not be as excited about that as I thought I was. But here is a success note. Here's a success story. As far as we know, anyway, Only time will tell. To end the episode on, we've pushed into our hour. We had a few moments in tonight's episode. Something was beep, beep, beeping outside of our recording studio here. I don't know what that was, but... I didn't really have a chance to try to reshoot. We've got a short time frame tonight to get this done and taken care of. I appreciate all of the understanding that you guys show to me when we have all these weird external noises that come in. That's just life in the modern world. Anyway, we're going to wrap it up for tonight. Again, I appreciate you guys. I'm glad you guys joined us this week. And I look forward to seeing you again in two weeks. Until then, you guys, please go over to the Facebook page. Check out the Facebook group, as I mentioned earlier. Go Basically, just go to waywardstories.com. It's the nexus of everything. Go there. You can do a contact form there. If you want to talk to me in an email, you can go to Instagram. You can go to Facebook. You can go to Twitter. You can sort of find everything from there. Waywardstories.com. If you want to write a direct email to me and share stories with me, mywaywardstory at gmail.com. You guys, please rate, review, and subscribe and that, that rating and reviewing guys, again, I've mentioned it before. I would appreciate it if you do it. It helps us to grow. Um, until we meet again in two weeks, you guys go out there, think about buying you some new gear, but whatever you do, get the heck outside, go explore, go create yourself. And until next time you guys be good to each other.